Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is episode 26 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, I want to help you get to grips with sulfur. Hey there, beautiful teachers. Welcome to 2019. It is fantastic to have you back with me again. And if you're just joining me for the first time on the podcast, make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player so that you get the next one as soon as it goes live. Now, in today's show, I want to take you into the world of Mr. Zoltan Kadai and the world of Sulfa. Now, just a quick note about this episode. This is really for those who are not super familiar with Kadai in general or Salfa teaching, maybe have done a little bit of training or have some experience, but aren't really familiar with the ins and outs of Salfa and Mr. Kadai and the methodology. So if you are very familiar with those, if you've done extensive training, perhaps more than I have, then you might want to skip ahead to next week's episode. Next week, I'm going to be talking about how we can apply these principles and SELFA in particular into the private music teaching studio. So if that's more than what's in, what will interest you, then hang on for next week's episode, episode 27. If you're interested, though, in what Kodai is all about and you've always been a bit puzzled by it or you're not sure of all the details, then hang on to your hat and I'll take you through it in today's episode. Because today what I really want to do is lay this groundwork. I know many people have heard somewhat of Kodai, maybe not even heard of it at all. But if you have heard of it, you might not be familiar with exactly what it means. You might have heard it referred to as a method or as something that's used in classroom teaching mostly. You might have heard the connection with Salfa, but you're not really sure whether one is the same thing as the other or whether they're just related. So that's what I want to break down in today's episode and make it as clear as possible for you. Now, a quick note on this as well. I am not some Kadai expert. I do not have extensive training. I have some training in Kadai methods. And I incorporate it as I see fit a bit, like I do with everything, bits and pieces as I want to in my piano teaching studio. So if I say something and you're thinking, ah, that's not exactly the way I understand it, as someone with years and years of Kodai (laughs) training and experience, then I apologize for any slight misunderstandings that I might have in advance. But I do have 
quite a bit of experience in this area and I want to share what I know with those of you that are further behind on the journey than I am in terms of Kadai. So first a bit about Kadai. What he did, he was a composer in Hungary and what he saw was a lack of music education in schools. <laughs> Ring any bells? And he was astounded at the level of singing that these kids had in a particular school, or so the story goes anyway. So he looked into it and he discovered that singing wasn't being taught until secondary school and he thought that was shocking and he didn't like the way it was being taught either. So he wrote a series of articles and basically campaigned to get music into schools. He thought it should be taught every day and after many years of campaigning for this he basically ran a pilot program in a school. It was the first music school in Hungary and in this school they had singing every single day. I believe it was an hour in the mornings. And this school was such a success from what I remember from my own training and lectures that I've been to. It actually increased the students' literacy and numeracy in those schools, although I'm not sure of exactly how that was tested. But anyway, this was then rolled out to over a hundred schools across Hungary and it was a fantastic program. So Kadai, through this, developed his own sort of methodology. And that's really what people are referring to when they refer to Kadai today, is the methodology. Not really the man, and not really this particular program where they were taught for an hour every morning um, through singing. So Kadai, as a methodology, believes in singing first. He thought that every, every child, no matter how poor they were, they all had a voice. And that was their own natural instrument. And that's what you should use to teach through, to teach music, because everyone had one or most people have one and it was free. So that's the, the big reasons that he wanted to teach through the voice also, because it was a natural instrument and it seemed the most um, instinctive to teach through singing. Kadai methodology also believes, as many do, in experience before notation. So interacting with things, singing things, and creating music before you're introduced to the notation. So you experience whatever concept it is before you actually see what it looks like written down. You might also be familiar with the fact that Kadai tends to use rhythm syllables. So this is usually in Kadai ta and titi. And then there are various different variations from there. Most people stick with ta and titi. The modified Kadai syllables that I use in my studio are ta, ta two, ta two three, ta two three four, which is not a Kadai thing. That's um, from Piano Safari, and I like those because ta a was always, well, ta a is fine, ta a a a can get a bit um, easy to get lost, I find. So I like the counting for those. And then there's a lot of variations for the smaller subdivisions. So for semi-quavers or that 16th note to my American listeners, some will use tika tika like I do, or some use tiri tiri, or there's various other different versions from there. But all of those are loosely based on the Kadai methodology, and that's where they sort of stem from, I believe. And then Kadai also believed in teaching through folk music and what he called quality compositions. But the folk music is really what comes through in a lot of the early stages. So children will be taught through folk music and folk songs. 
And that means in a lot of cases, starting with so and me from the sulfur scale. Now we'll get into that more next week and where I differ in terms of the traditional Kadai methodology there. But suffice to say, it starts with teaching simple folk songs, normally using so me, introducing la, and they should be native folk songs. So Kadai, the Kadai Society, the Kadai Institute of Ireland will use Irish folk songs. And the same thing in Hungary. So these are just songs that you would hear kids singing in the street as they do skipping games or whatever. And he believed that that was the most natural and that's where the methodology starts out a lot of these different things. And then, of course, it incorporates sulfa, which is really what we're talking about today. Sulfa is only one small part of the Kadai methodology. It is not the whole thing. And it is not actually from Kadai himself. Sulfa, in terms of how it's used in Kadai, came from Kadai, I believe, interacting with Sarah Glover and John Kerwin, who were in the UK and Great Britain. So Sarah Glover, I believe, created or at least popularised the Sulfa, the movable dough Sulfa system. And John Kerwin adapted this further And actually, the hand signs are from John Kerwin. They're Kerwin hand signs, although a lot of people call them Kadai hand signs. And when I say Kadai to some people, in fact, in Ireland, they say, oh, it's all of this. And they gesture with their hands, making making hand signs. These are um, music educators. So that is not what Kadai is about. It's not just hand signs. That is a very small part of it. But they are made use of. So let me explain some of those things. So first of all, let's talk about movable dough and fixed dough. You'll hear this referred to a lot, and it can be confusing again if you're not familiar with sulfa or sulfage. I say sulfa, you say sulfage, let's call the whole thing off. It doesn't matter which you say, to be honest. A good distinction for me is that I use sulfa when I'm talking about movable dough, and I use sulfage when I'm talking about fixed dough, but that's not a rule that's set in stone at all. That's sort of my rule or something I heard once and I thought it was a useful distinction. So I am talking about sulfur and that's what I use in my studio, which is movable dough to me with la base minor. Now what is movable dough? Movable dough means that dough is the tonic of the major scale. So in other words, movable dough sulfur moves around. That's exactly why it's called movable dough, right? Duh. So Movable dough sulfur means that do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do will always sound like a major scale, no matter where you start it. This is one of the main reasons that I find it so useful. And fixed dough sulfage is a whole other thing. But fixed dough sulfage, I believe, really is just a replacement for the letter names of the notes. C, D, E, F, G, A, B. And that's fine. But it's not the function that I'm looking for from Selfa because I already have the letter names. I don't really understand. Someone can write to me and explain why it's useful to have both CDE and Do Re Mi with fixed Do Selfage. But to me, that's not particularly useful. What is extremely useful is having the two different systems. One that is fixed, like note names, the letter names that we use for notes here, and a movable system like Selfa. So that's why I use movable dough, and that's what the difference is. I also use la-based minor, meaning, as I said, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do will always sound like a major scale. 
If it's a minor scale, it starts on La. Okay? And if it has the raised seventh, obviously that's adjusted as well. So that's what I use in my studio, and that's what I find extremely useful, and that is what Padai methods generally entail as well, is movable dough and La-based minor salsa. The Kerwin hand signs, which I mentioned before, those are hand signs to go with each note of the salsa scale. So there's a different sign for do. Do is like a fist. Re is like a hand gesturing upwards. And I won't go on because describing hand signs over a podcast is extremely inefficient. So if you want to see the salsa hand signs, they're actually in a post on the Colorful Keys site. The best thing to do is go to the show notes for this episode. That's at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 2626. And I'll leave a link there for the post I did about Salfa for piano teachers for beginners. So that will show the Kerwin hand signs and you can see them and what they look like. They're a useful additional aid when you're singing and I use them a lot for what I call with my students conducting them in Salfa. So leading, in other words, the Salfa singing that we're doing and it's a good way to associate the different notes in different ways and feel them in your body in different ways. Okay, so why do I use Salfa in my studio and why might you want to consider it, especially if you've never come across this before and you're a bit intimidated by the whole idea? You might be thinking, oh, what's the point even of this? Is it just another gimmick to bring in? Is it just yet another thing to teach? No, I truly believe that Salfa can really enhance your teaching and can help you to teach so many different things. So the first reason I started using Salfa in my studio was actually for sight singing exercises. I started using Salfa to teach these, which are required in all exams of any instrument. They have to sight sing. They don't have to use Salfa. They can say do-do-do-do-do. They can hum. It doesn't matter. But I was never really taught anything to do with these sight singing exercises. I was just told to have a go. And I always found it very frustrating as a student and very nerve-wracking. I was terrified of that section of the exam, even though it was only 3% or something. I really dreaded it because I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like I was just groping in the dark. And especially when you're already nervous, you're not going to sight-sing something well, especially if you don't have a system. So I didn't want my students to feel like that. And I was coming across a few students who were getting to this stage where the sight-singing exercises got you know, beyond your instinctive ability to just read them. So I was searching it for a solution for them because I didn't want them to feel the way I had. And I knew that singing could be taught. I truly still believe that. It absolutely can. No one is, you know, well, very, very few people are actually incapable of singing. But a huge portion of the population believe that they can't sing, which is just ludicrous. And that's a fight for another day. But anyway, so I was in search of sight singing systems or ways to teach this to my students. And that's why I started with Salfa, because I had a vague idea that it might be useful. And as I learned more about it, I learned that it truly was. And I started incorporating it that way into my teaching, just in a small way. Now, from there, I started using it more and more and learning more about Kadai and taking some Kadai training. And Salfa began to become an indispensable tool for me for teaching oral training, ear training to my students. That they would be able to identify different things by ear, figure stuff out by ear, and all of that through Salfa. When they were familiar with Salfa, this made so much more sense to them, as did keys in general. 
you know, feeling a key, what it's like to be in a key and what this note feels like, what the tonic feels like, what the dominant feels like, is a very different thing to just analyzing it on paper. And Solfa allows you, it's a tool to allow you to explore that with your students without getting overly theoretical about it, which is so important. Solfa also paves the way towards understanding so much about the relationships between notes and my most recent uses for it have included harmonizing simple melodies with my students. This is a really fantastic exercise that we do in buddy lessons where we're working out folk songs by ear and we're then using just do and so, they're all major folk songs, just do and so say to start to harmonize them. So just the one and the five and that can harmonize most simple folk songs and we work it all out by ear and they understand it so much more than I did at their age and than if we, well, if we told them about it or made them do theory exercises, I never would at their level get them to do theory exercises on harmonizing something. But through Salfa, it's so instinctive and natural that it just makes sense to incorporate this right from the beginning and they understand what they're doing so much better when it's approached from this angle. So that's a little bit about why I use Salfa. Now, as I said, next week I'm going to dive into how I use Salfa a lot more and the different exercises I do with Salfa in my studio and how you can bring it into your private music teaching studio. No matter whether you're teaching in groups or, pri- or one-on-one, you really can use Salfa in your studio and it can be a fantastic asset for you in just a few minutes out of each lesson, not with a huge commitment. And you don't need experience or amazing levels of Kadai training to do it. It's all music and you will understand what's going on, even if you haven't thought about it in this way before. So I'm excited to share those ideas with you next week. You can find the show notes for today's episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 26. That's the numbers, two, six. And a quick note to Vibrant Music Teaching members. Our office hours are coming up this week, so you're going to want to check the calendar page for those or watch your email inbox if you want to join me live and get any questions answered, especially if you've got some New Year's resolutions on the go that you're trying to put into action. Maybe you need some input from someone outside of the situation so you can see clearly what's going on and I can help you move forward. So tune into those office hours if you're a Vibrant Music Teaching member. If you're not a member, then sign up just in time and you can join one of the office hour calls as well. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this dive into Kadai and Salfa and I'll catch you again next week. Vibrant Music Teaching members can get the full Salfa Skyrocket course in the video library right now if they want to dive into the area of Salfa and start using it with their students. Go to vmt.ninja today. If you're not a member, sign up and you'll get access to that course instantly. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.